0: Hello and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements or aspects of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe there's great power in the scriptures and we can draw that power out better when they are real and applicable to us and we need that power. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and with me is my good friend and colleague, Josh Sears, who has been, uh, I knew Josh back when he was a student here at BYU and uh, have followed his career with great interest since then. And uh, he, I think, I I don't know, it's like four years now or something you've been uh, hired here in ancient scripture. And
1: yeah, four years.
0: Yeah. And uh, we carpool together sometimes and all sorts of other stuff, but I'll also just say uh, I can't think of anyone who in, in that amount of time I have stolen more ideas from in the classroom. Josh has so many ideas of how to present this and how to help students with this. And most of those ideas really are about how to help students Uh, help students who are struggling, help students who uh, have this issue or that issue ways to present it to those students. Uh, He's a gifted and a very, very thoughtful teacher, which also tells you how he's a gifted and thoughtful person, husband, father. I've seen him in all of those roles. And so I'm just so glad to have you with us, Josh. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little about yourself, Josh.
1: I uh, grew up in
0: California.
1: Uh, we're in california my mission in chile it's ventura it's north of los oh, yeah. angeles
0: yeah, yeah i Kansas lived in school. la and served in riverside so i know ventura so yeah yeah it's a great place
1: yeah um and then after my mission to chile i met my wife she is from hong kong and uh, we got married in the hong kong temple um and then we've gone around different to graduate school and everything having a couple kids at each spot now we're back here with our five kids in linden and having a great time being back at byu uh,
0: yep and celebrating every now and then some Chinese festivals and uh, some Jewish festivals and all sorts of stuff. I know you've named your, uh, some of your children after biblical characters the way that uh, yeah. I have, and it's good stuff.
1: Yeah, all five of them are Old Testament names.
0: See, <laughs> uh, so I only won with three of them for that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, Well, good. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. And uh, today we're we're starting our discussion in the book of Job, but I think it can go all sorts of different places. Uh, so why don't you just uh, tell us some times where the scriptures have become real or, or take us through some things that might help us uh, feel the reality of these scriptures.
1: Yeah, I guess Job is where you go if you want to <laughs> think about the problem of suffering, right? This guy that goes through so many things and then the whole middle of the book is people trying to process everything he's gone through, right? Uh, the friends sometimes try to comfort him. Sometimes they try to accuse him of maybe why it's his fault. And he's trying to figure out what's going on, but it's just this deep exploration of why are these bad things happening to people who are trying to do good and um, the suffering that we go through here in this life. Um, and that's, it's it's hard stuff to process. I yeah. think um, coming back to BYU as a teacher, my uh, biggest, maybe surprise, you know, I'd been a student here, so I knew the student side of things, or just at least my own world as a student. Coming back as a teacher, my biggest surprise has been maybe how many of my students are going through just awful, gut-wrenching, hard stuff. Yeah. Uh, m- mental illness, I had no idea how many people in every class would, would have be struggling with depression, anxiety, and other kinds of things. Uh, deaths in the family, I'm hearing about all the time, because people say, I can't come to class today. You know, my mom died. I'm going to the funeral um car crashes there's just all sorts of things my students are going through um and it's been hard for me it's been hard <laughs> to hear what's going on with them it's even harder for them going through these things um but it's made me realize that we've got to use the scriptures as a resource to figure out how to go through these things because we're all going to go through these things to some extent or another to some um different uh, types of challenges is different for everybody, but we're all going to have this stuff. And the scriptures are such a rich rich resource for trying to process and make sense of what we go through.
0: Uh, I I agree. And like you, I mean, I think our students have always had difficult things, but it seems like the last few years, uh, this has magnified and it's not just students, it's everybody Uh, and uh, life well, I mean, maybe I'll quote Princess Bride. Life is pain, right? Anyone who tells you something <laughs> different is is trying to sell you something. But uh, there, there, I mean, life is joy also. But there's uh, there's no one who's getting through this life without some real suffering. And that's uh, I mean, if you want to look even at modern day prophets, President Kimball or or you know President Nelson, who's lost uh, a daughter. I can't imagine what it's like to be a world famous heart surgeon and have your wife die of a heart attack in your arms. I, I mean, I just uh we all go through this stuff so it's a topic worth addressing
1: yeah and one interesting thing i've encountered with multiple students and and a few others i know you know i'll come with them with this idea that i think oh the scriptures are a rich resource for dealing with this and learning about this but i've actually had some people tell me i'm going through this really hard time and i don't want to go in the scriptures yeah. because they're not relatable the scriptures are just everything is sugar coated You know, if anything bad happens, then it's instantly resolved. A miracle always, you know, saves the day at the last possible moment. And I've had people express this idea that, no, that people in the scriptures don't know what I'm going through. It's unrelatable, right? Um, And it actually turns them off to the scriptures. They don't want to be in there where, you know, there's always a happy ending and, you know, everything works out perfectly. Um, And that's just their impression of what the scriptures are like and my response has been well let's take a closer look here <laughs> yeah because i think the scripture is going to be a lot more complicated and multifaceted and rich than that and they have a lot to offer as you're trying to process the difficult things you're going through
0: and, and i think some of that reaction i've i've seen that reaction as well and and maybe i have two takes on that one some of that reaction is because it's not the scriptures themselves it's what we've done with the scriptures traditionally how what how we've talked about them how we've used them uh, and thus what we see in them because of what we've heard our whole lives. It's uh, you know, not the scriptures themselves, although there certainly are some elements of that, but there are some elements of, oh God, where is thy hiding place right uh, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also found this, and I' this is not a, a blanket statement or a general statement at all. every case of struggling looks different. But uh, recently, I've been working very closely with a number of people who are really, really struggling, and some of them are people I'm very, very close to. Um, and I find that when when darkness hits and, and a lot of times and I'm not saying it's like darkness is brought on because of sin or something like that, but a lot of times we feel darkness when we go through these struggles and we often don't feel like light, we, we, we don't feel like doing that which will bring light into us it's, it's a little bit like President uh, Brigham Young when he said, the times when you feel the least like praying. That's when you need it the most. And I think that's true of scripture study as well. The times when you feel least like scripture or studying your scriptures, that's when you need it the most. Um, and you can really almost sense that when f- you don't feel like reading them, that should be a little indication to you that there, there's something going on inside of me that needs help. And I need the light that's in the scriptures. Yeah. So again, I'm not, I want to be very clear. I'm not implying that that darkness has come because of sin or something you've done wrong or anything terrible. We all have times of darkness in our lives. That, that's, that's the nature of life. John is very clear about that. There's darkness. You just need to turn to the light. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think it's helpful in the scripture to realize how many people have gone through, maybe not the exact thing you're going through, but some pretty similar stuff. Yeah. Um. So just to illustrate, I I put together a short little list here of just some representative quotes. I thought I'd read these. I'm not going to give you the reference or say who's speaking it. Some you might recognize, some might be a little more obscure, but just uh, let's, you know, you, you talk about the scriptures are real, and I just want people to listen to this and think it doesn't get more real and raw than some of the expressions these people say and recorded here. So I'll just read these one by one here. There's just about a dozen. If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? and where be all his miracles of which our fathers told us of o oh god where art thou and where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place for i pray continually by day and mine eyes water my pillow by night i will not refrain my mouth i will speak in the anguish of my spirit i will complain in the bitterness of my soul my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people, saying, Ye shall have peace when the sword reacheth unto the soul. But some doubted. I am alone and I have not friends. O oh, Lord, my God. Why hast thou also brought evil upon this poor widow? Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul.
0: Oh, you look on the
1: affliction of thy handmaid. Yep.
0: Sorry, sorry. Keep going. No, it's, it's fine. I, I had a computer glitch for a second, but it's back. So, okay. So you can just keep going.
1: Look on the affliction of thine handmaid and the abundance of my complaint and grief. O oh, wretched man that I am. Ye are gone and my sorrows cannot bring your return. We did mourn out our days. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. I will refuse to be comforted. So that's just a little sampling.
0: Yeah, and as you're I reading, that, I can th- think of several prophets who said they wished they'd never been born. Right, that, mm-hmm. more than one prophet has said that. So there's there's some more we could throw in there. But anyways, yeah. so or if going. this
1: is what I've got to do, just kill me now. Yeah. Moses, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and I I think those words, you know, we talk about the scriptures are real. Those are real words. Those come from a place deep in people's souls. People who were lonely. People who were felt rejected by god people felt god wasn't listening to them they felt disappointed um and to me you know as we go through all these things it's helpful to see that some of the best men and women that have ever lived have gone through those exact same emotions and they've been trying to make sense of the exact same puzzles
0: Hmm.
1: right and some of these stories yeah right there in the scriptures they eventually have a resolution and others don't they just kind of leave their hanging and you realize this is a person who struggled and i I hope it worked out for them, but I don't know that it did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, if you look at the lives of a lot of the great prophets of the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, you'll see that while they were great men and women who had great things, their lives were hard and they were hard the whole time. Right. Abraham is an example. Uh Jacob is an example. Just one hard thing after another. Yeah. So,
1: you know, I've been thinking about what do we learn from the fact that all this is in the scriptures. Um, so we've talked about some. Um, so you mentioned, for example, that darkness isn't always caused by sin. I think that's something that you can see in here, that some of the best people, including the Savior, had moments where they felt alone or they felt abandoned, yeah. not because of sin, but because that's life and that's, that's what happens, um, other people's choices, um, sickness, disease, All these things. So that's an important takeaway from this. Um, Another takeaway might be that, yeah, some issues get resolved here in mortality. And other times in the scriptures, you see people recognizing the fact that what they need is help to bear their burden in mortality, but it it won't be taken away until the next life. Um, And that can be a a really difficult cross to bear, um, but one that the Savior offers repeatedly to help us bear. Um, as we wait for that day of deliverance to come sooner or later. Yeah. Um, another lesson I see frequently with these people is the fact that perspective is so important. It may feel like God is not answering or that God has abandoned them. But when God gets the chance to respond in these stories, his repeated reframe is, you know, I'll show to you that I have not forsaken you. Yeah, He he is there. And it can be so hard when it feels like, you know, a loving God would save me from this or a loving God would bring this to a quick conclusion. Um, And it can make it so hard to trust in his love when that relief is not immediately forthcoming. Um, And I love that the scriptures give a chance for him to respond. Maybe, Maybe we can't hear him talking to us personally right now, but in the scriptures, he responds to people asking those same questions and reassures it repeatedly and emphatically that no he has not forgotten us and that he'll always be there for us and that he suffers just as much as we are for the things that we have to go through that Mm -hmm. he weeps with us
0: absolutely in fact maybe i can just share a story that really uh, brings that home to me that happened in my life if that's all right i i don't think i've shared this before um when I, when my first child, uh, uh, our son, was uh, almost two years old, he got really, really, really sick. We were living in Los Angeles, uh, and he he had several days where he was vomiting all the time, and we were worried that he was to the point of dehydration. In fact, we did end up having to take him in and put him on an IV and that kind of a thing. But just before that, I can remember. Um, sitting with him for about two to three hours, just laying with him on this little hide a bed that we had. And he'd gotten to the point where if he had any kind of something enter his stomach, he would vomit. And, uh, and so I knew I couldn't let him have anything. We're just hoping his stomach would settle down, but he was, he was dehydrated. And so for a couple of hours, I just lay there holding him while the whole time he was saying water, daddy, water, water, daddy, water. He He didn't know how to talk very well, but he could say that. And he just kept saying water, daddy, water. And I I, I sat there holding him thinking uh, he needs water. He's absolutely right in what he's sensing. He does need water, but I know not right now. This is not what you need right now, right? You can't have it right now. And then I had to ask myself how many times God has said that to me, where I've sensed something that I really desperately needed. And it wasn't wrong that I needed that. But from a different perspective, God could say, not right now. This isn't the time. It's not the thing for you right now. And uh, I, I think that often we when we wonder why isn't God answering me the way I'm expecting, it's not because we're wrong in our need, but it's we're wrong in our timing or exactly how that need will come or something like that. Anyway, that, that story just kind of uh, highlighted that for me and that, that spoke to me as you were uh, talking about. God saying, I haven't abandoned you, right? God yeah. hasn't abandoned us. It's just not this thing at this time.
1: And I've come to realize as a parent, there are indeed times where I might have to do something or allow a condition that's going to have my child go through some pain and some suffering for their greater good. Yeah. Um, I think back, for example, our, our first son, Josiah, was born and we took him in for it. You get all these uh, vaccinations when you're a baby. Yeah. Like, prevent all these d- terrible diseases and the shots would make him cry <laughs> and scream yeah. Yeah. and that was painful as a new dad to watch right because usually i'm yeah. trying to do everything to make that go away but here i'm kind of letting it happen on purpose and so that was struck a few months after that in general conference um i'll read this here um this uh, one of the speakers got up and said this so this is a quote i ask a question to you mothers Would you ever do something that would cause pain and bring tears to your children when they have done nothing wrong? Of course you would. When mothers take young children to the doctor to receive immunizations, almost every child leaves the doctor's office in tears. Why do you do that? Because you know that a small amount of pain now will protect them from possible pain and suffering in the future. Our father in heaven knows the end from the beginning. We need to follow the example of the savior and trust in him. Hmm. So that's the end of the quote. Now, of course, a prick of a needle is not as bad as some of the really chronic um, conditions that people go through for years and years, but it does demonstrate this important idea that a parent can have good reasons to let a child go through pain and suffering and still be a good, loving moral parent.
0: Yeah, I Um, I agree so much.
1: Yeah, no, Amy, if you understand the devastating effects of hepatitis, polio, measles, measles, the things that might've brought to the baby, you'd totally think we were in the right, you know, for letting the baby go through that. Um, so the baby might not see it that way though, right? At the time, yeah. he's just gonna look at you traitors.
0: Well, in um, fact, the, the follow-up of that story I was in when we did take my, my son in to get an IV and the doctor and the nurse were trying to hold him down to give him this IV and he's freaking out and screaming and stuff. And I said, let me try. And I, and I brought him over and I said, this is gonna help you trust me. And, and I held him and he looked at me and he was trusting me and he was calm. And they stuck that needle in and the look of betrayal in his eyes, like, how could you do this to me? How could you? But I knew he needed it. Right. And I think sometimes people are feeling that right now with God. My guess is there are people in this audience. I know I have people who are very close to me who right now are looking at God and saying, how could you betray me? How could you let this happen to me when I've done what you've asked and everything else? I trusted you and this is happening. How could you betray me now? And, and I hope that we can look at them the way that I hope now my son can look at me and say, okay, well, I know why you gave me an IV and, you know, thank you for that. I hope one day we can get to that perspective.
1: Yeah. Cause as children, we don't see the long-term complex outcomes of this and it takes trust to say God does. Yeah. At the same time, You know, it's hard. I don't think we can look at every little trial we go through and be like, this is the reason for that. This is the reason for this. That's get. I think that gets you into trouble quickly. But just as a general rule, knowing that we came here in mortality to experience sometimes really awful things, trusting that there is a grand purpose to that, that it's educative, that this in the eternities is going to be significant for our growth and exaltation and, and fullness of joy. Um, that's where I have to say, I don't understand how this specific thing here could possibly contribute to that. I don't get it. But I trust that you, Father, know what you're doing in the in the long run here.
0: Uh, that's good. I, I think you're right. That's exactly what we have to do.
1: Now, some other lessons from the scriptures on this. How, how do you deal with these things? Um, I thought we could maybe look at a couple examples um, how, do you, how do you respond to these kind of these trials w- with this faithful perspective we're talking about? Um, I, I think the examples of Nephi and Jacob, these brothers are interesting because I actually see them responding a little bit differently to the trials, but they're both faithful responses. So for example, you look at Nephi, you know, Nephi went through a lot of hard stuff, brothers trying to kill him, uh, people not listening to him, the suffering on the boat, crossing the wilderness, <laughs> having to write all the scriptures. He goes through a lot of stuff, um, and as, when Nephi expresses the hard things he goes through, I see kind of a pattern in what he does. That he'll briefly acknowledge that he's going through something really hard, and then there's a pivot point where then he'll quickly shift to these words of faithful affirmation, talking about big picture stuff, plan of salvation, reality of God. It's all going to work out in the end. Those kind of things. Um, so, for example, just to show you what I mean here, Second Nephi chapter four has his psalm, right? So I think this is a good example of all this. In verse 17, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of my iniquities. I'm encompassed about uh, when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. And then you get the pivot point. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through my afflictions in the wilderness. He hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He has filled me with his love, even unto the consuming of my flesh, um, right? So he, all these wonderful things there, right? So he, he allowed himself to think about the hard things briefly, but then he pivots and kind of bears testimony of God's greater gifts. And he does this at several points. You see a pattern in here. So for example, Second Nephi 26, verse 7, he reflects on how torn up he is that he saw and envisioned his descendants will be destroyed. Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people, for I, Nephi, have seen it, and it will not consume me before the presence of the Lord. And then you get the pivot. But I must cry unto my God, thy ways are just. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the justice of God and how the righteous will be okay. So that, that's how he makes sense of that. And a few chapters later, Second Nephi 33, he does this again. He talks about, in verse 3. uh, about his people, how they're not listening very well. Um, My pray continually for them by day, mine eyes water my pillow by night because of them. Crying every bed night in your pillow, that sounds like a big burden he's carrying. But then then he pivots though. And I cry unto my God in faith, and I know that he will hear my cry, and I know that the Lord God will consecrate my prayers for the gain of my people. Um, And he does this other places too, like 2 Nephi 5. He talks about the wars and contentions and the Lamanites and the temple was not as great as he was hoping and all these things. But then he insists we lived after the manner of happiness. That's his concluding thought on their state. Um, and that's Nephi's way of dealing with his hard things is he always you know, he puts it into internal perspective, tries to take a bigger picture, a long view, and, and he finishes with that, those statements of faith.
0: Yeah, he doesn't pretend that there's not hard things and he doesn't gloss it over. He's, he tells us, this is hard. This mm-hmm. is really hard. But, right?
1: Yeah, but there's a bigger picture too. I know about the plan yeah. of salvation. I have <laughs> a testimony. Jesus will make things right. He's always affirming that. Um, and I think there's an interesting contrast, though, with his brother Jacob who sometimes does it a little bit differently. Now to to preface this, Jacob had just as much suffering as Nephi, right? He's born in tribulation in the wilderness. He's abused by his older brothers. He's got people who don't listen to him. He's got to deliver hard messages. He goes through a lot of stuff in his life. At the same time, his faith and his testimony is just as rock solid as Nephi's. Jacob says he has seen angels. He's seen God. He's seen the coming of Christ, Lehi says, and he's blessed just like those who come in the flesh. He, he teaches about the plan of salvation with such power, right? Jacob knows everything just just as well as Nephi, I think. Yeah. he's had the visions. He's had the revelations. Um, but Jacob, I think, is a little more willing to to be vulnerable and dwell on those hard things he's going through just a little bit more. He's very empathetic, sometimes in ways I, I think that's something Nephi had to work on a little bit. Like we're, uh, Jacob says, you know, I'm, I'm so in Jacob chapter two, it grieve with my soul that I have to tell you these things. It grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you. I know you've come up to hear the pleasing word of God and it burdeneth my soul that I must give you strict things today. He's just very empathetic and thinking about his audience and how they're going to react. Whereas Nephi sometimes got in trouble by, you know, being bold and not <laughs> being surprised at the consequences, yeah. but Jacob, um, Here's an example. At the end of Jacob 7, he closes his book out, and it's a (laughs) this is one of the most fascinating passages in the Book of Mormon. Jacob 7, 26. It came to pass that I, Jacob, began to be old, and the record of this people being kept on the other plates of Nephi. Wherefore I conclude this record declaring that I've written according to the best of my knowledge by saying that the time passed away with us, and also our lives passed away, like as it were unto us a dream, we being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions, wherefore we did mourn out our days. Yeah, And I, I think this is interesting because he says we, we, we here, but there's very few people that this passage could actually apply to. Most of the Nephites by this point are born in the new world, so they're not, you know, wanderers, cast out of Jerusalem, all these kinds of things. So I kind of take this, I'm wondering if this is kind of like the royal we, it's like me, but he's using weed to deflect it a little bit. Um, There's not a lot of people that's good to This sounds like someone who's old and most of the younger people in the scene now can't relate to this guy's experiences and what he's going through. And if that's the case, his insights here are very interesting. He he calls himself lonesome or lonely, solemn. Um, And he says he's a wanderer. That's someone without a home right like he's been in the new world for decades now but he still feels like he's wandering remember this is the guy born in the wilderness between jerusalem and the new world
0: yeah. so apparently and then he, he and like then he gets he the new world and finds a place anywhere. and then has to move right he just yeah, he's yeah. always
1: on the move so he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere like the city of nephi is not even his home um and and he says he's cast out from jerusalem which is interesting because he was actually not right yeah but i i picture this kid growing up in the desert the families there, Lehi, Sariah, Laman, Lemuel, Jake, uh, Nephi and Sam and the others. And what do they probably talk about nonstop? Jerusalem this and Jerusalem that, right? The people who mm. rejected them. And even though he was personally not cast out from Jerusalem, apparently the family had this big sense that collectively they were, and they abused the sense of rejection onto this kid. And he's carried that now psychologically clear to the end of his life. He feels like he was cast yeah. out from Jerusalem and he's carrying that burden for from a people he's never even met.
0: Yeah, he was he was born mid caste, as it were, and that's how he thinks of himself.
1: And when he says "hated of our brethren," you know that the Nephites think of the Lamanites generically as their brethren, recognizing their common ancestor all through the Book of Mormon. But for him, this is almost uniquely literal. Laman and Lemuel were his brothers. Yeah, right. And um, Laman he would have grown up the same age as Laman and Lemuel's kids. His technically his nephews and nieces. And now they're the current rulers of the Lamanites, and they're the ones leading attacks on his people, the, his playmates from childhood. Yeah, this is a, some real family trauma, a broken family, and he's feeling the effects of that, right? And so he says, "I'm mourning out my days." Um, you know, it's you, you shouldn't really psychoanalyze people from the ancient past; that's dangerous. But that sounds kind of depressed. <laughs> mourning out his days. Yeah, it's just kind of a sad description. Um, and the interesting thing for me is. Unlike Nephi, there's no pivot point here where he says, "But it's okay because I have Jesus," or "It's okay because you know in the next life everything will be great." He just kind of lets the 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 grief and the burden kind of hang in the air, saying, "Hey, this is my truth. This is my reality." And I don't think that takes away one bit from the, his testimony and his faith and his devotion to the Savior. He knows about the plan of salvation. He knows things will work out in the end. He knows the Savior. And his yeah, atonement he's testified of, his of it Bible. again and again. Yeah. Earlier in the same chapter, he told Sherem, you know, I've had all these revelations. I've heard the voice of God. I cannot be moved. I can't be shaken. He's firm in that. So for Jacob, I feel like it says he's saying, you know, I perfectly know I have, I have perfect faith and perfect testimony, but right now I hurt. I'm going through hard stuff. I feel a lot of grief. Every day is hard. And I think he just lets those two realities kind of sit there. <laughs> without uh-huh. trying to put a bow on it, like Nephi sometimes seemed like he was trying to do. And I kind of love this as a kind of a foil to Nephi to say, you know what? There's not one right way to, to deal with your grief <laughs> and, and your, your burdens right there. For Nephi, the way he dealt with it was to take that long view and say, you know what? It's going to be okay in big picture. Um, but for Jacob, he's like, you know, okay with those kind of living simultaneously right now that, you know, I have perfect faith, but it's also hard right now. Um, and I, I think, people deal with it in each of those ways. Um, I know as I've tried to help people going through trauma or grief, you deal with them differently, right? Some people need a sermon. Some people need you to bear testimony to them and remind them of the plan of salvation. Other people, though, maybe just need you to sit there and be with them and have a hug right because bearing testimony they already know the church is true and they already know that there's life after death but what they need right now is just a hug because you know bearing testimony of something they already believe absolutely isn't what they need um you see this with jesus right um lazarus dies and when martha comes up he bears testimony and teaches of the resurrection but with mary he just cries with her he recognizes that they need everything. So I wonder if Jacob here, you know, it's not like I need to give Jacob a plan of salvation lesson,
0: <laughs> but the
1: guy sounds like he might need a hug.
0: <laughs> and, um, and I would guess for most of us, at one point, we're one way and at one point, we're the other way. Sometimes we just need yeah. a hug and sometimes we need someone that, you know, I know recently for some stuff I've been going through, uh, hearing someone tell a particular scripture story, I was like, oh, I, I knew that. And I haven't been feeling it lately. I needed to feel that today and they helped me feel it. So, that, but mm-hmm. there are other times where, no, that's not what I need. Right. So it's, it's different for all of us. We're, we're both different people, but we're not the same person at every moment either.
1: Yeah. And I think Jacob also teaches us, you can have faith and a good, strong testimony and still feel sad and burdened.
0: <laughs> Cause
1: yeah. some, I, I think sometimes in the church, there's a sense that, you know, you, you can't express your unresolved. <laughs> problems you're having. Like at church, people might feel hesitation to share a comment or in a talk that they're going through a hard time, unless by the end of the talk or the comment, they can tie a bow on it and say, you know, but I've learned this lesson from it, or, you know, I've realized this, or, you know, they have some kind of narrative resolution to the story. It's hard for people just to say, yeah, I, uh, this happened to my kid, or this happened to me, and I just feel awful. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Because they feel like, you know, if, if you uh, just leave that hanging there, you, you, the, the fear is that, you know, well, where's your faith or what's Hmm. the lesson from this, you know, and sometimes we're in the middle of figuring this out. So maybe we don't have all the answers yet. I I think we need to, you know, I don't know if this is a cultural thing or what, but we need to be able to feel some vulnerability to be like, yeah, I I do have faith. I believe in God, but (laughs) I also feel really sad (laughs) right now. And I think Jacob shows us that those can be two realities that coexist and, um, that's okay, actually to yeah. coexist like that
0: that's good that's good
1: but yeah the, these are hard things uh, like you said i know people who are going through things and it's hard when when you don't feel like prayers are being answered and um and you're not getting the responses that you hope for especially if you go to church or go in the scriptures right and see it working out for other people and the answers that they get um, and even in people in the scriptures have this yeah. like if, if i go to the book of Judges, chapter six. I love this kind of this anguish from Gideon, right? This, this, uh, it says an angel, the Lord, this divine messenger appears to him and says, the Lord is with thee. This is Judges 6, 12. And to him, that's a message that doesn't resonate. The Lord is with me because his life up to this point has not felt like the Lord is with him. So he says that in verse 13, Gideon says unto him, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befallen us? Where are all the miracles? which our fathers told us of saying, didn't the Lord bring us out from Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us. So even in his point, you know, we kind of lump all the scripture people. Oh, that's all ancient time. It's all together. Right. But he's saying in the past, you know, my, my ancestors told of these great miracles, but right now I'm not seeing miracles in my life. <laughs> I don't see the hand of the Lord and what's going on right now. You say the Lord's with me. Well, that's not how it seems right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just find that to be a very real reaction I, know, a lot of people today being like, oh, you know, pioneers, they had miracles, but why am I not seeing those in my life today? (laughs) Right. Um, and and right there in the scriptures, you have someone expressing that, and it's still something we struggle with. It's hard to reconcile miracles. We hear other people having about answers of prayer. We hear from others. And sometimes people in their own life, they're not feeling that. Um, and I think that can be one of the biggest challenges of life to keep trusting in God when we don't feel like those answers are, are forthcoming right away. And maybe it's been years. I, 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 do not have easy answers to that. I know that I have seen miracles. I know that I get answers to prayer. Um, I have felt the Lord's love for me and for others. And sometimes I really struggle when I don't have answers to give to other people who are struggling with this. Yeah. But what I, what I do know through my prayers over them is that the Lord does love them. That he's aware of them um that he he validates the struggle that they're going through and that things will be okay um that's the trust i have and it's sometimes difficult to communicate to others but i do know that he's real and that he loves us um and i trust that sooner or later in the long run we're all going to be able to see the the logic behind that parent who's letting us get that needle prick right um yeah. i can't fathom the logic of it sometimes right now but i do trust that in the long run it'll make sense and that we'll will be like joseph smith said we'll will will declare that the god of the earth has done right right that things he did this he did these things for a reason he allowed these things for a reason um and someday we'll be able to appreciate what those reasons are
0: so well said in fact maybe we can just read a couple of verses from towards the end of job that I, I, in some ways for me uh, highlights this uh, and and in some ways these are tough verses. So we're going to go to chapter 38 and this is after uh, you know friends have accused him and then he's talking about why things aren't he doesn't know why things aren't the way they should be and so on and then God's going to answer and we get in chapter 38 verse 1 and and I mean I want you to picture yourself being job hearing this right or anyone, Uh, because god's pretty forthright here verse one then the lord said or then the lord answered job out of the whirlwind and said who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge gird up now thy loins like a man for i will demand of thee and answer thou me so he's saying who are you to be given this kind of counsel if you want to if you want to Talk to me like a man, then let's let's get this on, right? I'm going to ask you some questions and you better answer me. Now, l- look at the questions that he asked. Verse four, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath, who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? So, you know, who, who was creating basically? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud and the garment thereof in the thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and I break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning day, the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? Is it turned as the clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment? And so on and so on. Right? He goes on for a while, highlighting the difference between him and Job, and it's pretty stark. Right? I love that. Are you the one who told, created the ocean and then said, Ocean, this is how far you can come? I'd like to see you, Job, stop the ocean. I can. Can you? Right. That's basically what he's saying. Right. And the point of all of this is. You, there's a difference between me and you, and you may not understand what's happening right now, and it may not make sense to you, but you got to trust me. I know what I'm doing. And like you said, we, we we need to be careful. Not all trials are from God and not and so on. But even when they're not from God, we ask the question, why is he not delivering me? That's what Joseph Smith was asking, right? I don't think he thought that mm-hmm. the persecutions in Missouri were from God, but he still wanted to know, why aren't you answering me? And, and God's answer again was basically, I know when it will end. I know how it will end. Just work with me on this yeah. one. And uh, again, that... Um, that doesn't make everything better immediately, but it can give us a little sliver of hope. And, and, and maybe I'll just end on that. When I wrote a book on um, the first vision, and I was trying to, to kind of piece through this attack uh, from Satan and the chronology of that attack. And it was really difficult. That's the hardest part to figure out what was happening when, and I think it's because it was confusing in Joseph Smith's mind, but, it became clear to me that deliverance, right, the, the light touching him and then Satan gone wasn't the first thing, wasn't the first element of deliverance. The first element of deliverance was the hope that he might survive so that he could continue to call on God. The ability, not it didn't go away, just the ability to keep calling and keep hoping. And deliverance eventually came, but that's not the first element of deliverance. And I suspect that it's that way more often than not, that the first element we get is just the ability to keep going through this suffering and asking God for help. But what we have to believe is that, that that help does eventually come. And as you said, it may be the next life or I don't know. And those are really difficult things to go through and talk about when we find out this is a condition I'll have my whole life. And uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing that with people I know very well right now. And it's it's a tough thing. But yeah. uh, I guess I just have to ask myself, where was I when God laid the foundations and answer I yeah. wasn't laying the foundations.
1: I, I think the central idea of Christianity here is that because of Jesus Christ, everything will get better in the end. Yeah. And maybe the, then the central thing that Christianity demands of us is that hope that it can be so. Uh, good. Um, and, it, and it really is a matter of, of trust right there. Um, I'll just finish. Uh, I'll read some Isaiah here if we can do that. Yeah. Isaiah 49, right? You get this, uh, complaint, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Um, which, you know, whatever the context it is there originally, that's something a lot of people feel right. If -hmm. God is even real, he's forsaken me and forgotten me. And then the Lord's response is, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. And I love how it uses like a mother's love right there. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you think there's there's nothing purer than that, right? But then it says, "Yea, they may forget." There actually are some bad moms out there <laughs> that might forget you. But even in that extreme case, that some that sometimes happens as an exception to the general rule rule of a mother's love. But it says, "Yea, they may forget. Yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands." And I, I just love that reassurance there. No matter what else happens, no matter what you can't see about what's going on, I haven't forgotten you and I never will. He's already suffered all that we've gone through. He's already died for us. And there's no way at this point and all that that he's going to forsake us now. He's already paid the price. Um, And I can just imagine that he's, like it says in the scriptures, he's weeping with us in the meantime. And he's joyful in his knowing that in his timetable, those sufferings will come to an end and we'll be able to move on to joys and rejoicing more than we can imagine.
0: Uh, beautifully said, Josh. Beautifully said. Uh, you've made the scriptures very real for me. And I, uh, I know there are a lot of people who, uh, if it's not this moment that you need it, there will be some other moment that you need these teachings. And you probably know someone who could use this, uh, this real dose of the scriptures being real. Uh, and so we hope that not only is this edifying for you, but that you can turn around and edify others with uh, the th- great things Josh has been teaching us. So I'm grateful for the scriptures and, and I'm grateful for Josh and for the Lord who gets us through all of this. Thank you, Josh.
1: Thank you.